So let's jump right in today. We're going to continue in this series that we began back the first of the year, uh, talking about having a biblical vision for God's church. This is not just a biblical vision for our church as if we have to have some kind of unique uh, vision distinct from every other body of Christ that exists. No, we want to come alongside uh, the church that's been faithful to the word of God uh, since the first century and, and recognize the things that God has called us to be faithful to. We're not just asking the question, what could the church do? Because the church can do lots of things and lots of good things. What we're ultimately asking is, what must the church do? Like, if we don't get anything else right, what are the essentials, the non-negotiables that we have got to get right as the people of God? And, and the one we're going to talk about today involves this scripture here in Matthew 28. We, we call it... The Great Commission, very familiar passage of Scripture, especially if you grew up in a Baptist church like I did. Uh, you've heard about the Great Commission for many, many years. We're going to explore it again today, and I hope that there will be a renewal of a Great Commission passion in our midst, not just as a result of this message, but as a result of the God who gave us this word. So if you're able to stand in honor of the word this morning, let's, let's read together the Great Commission. Here in Matthew 28. This is the word of God given to us through the words of Jesus himself. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's be seated together this morning. Father, we pray simply this, that your word would pierce our hearts today. That your word would challenge us in godliness. That your word would spur us on in the gospel. And to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've talked about over the last several weeks the priorities of what it means to be a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. What, what must be the non-negotiables for the church, the essentials that we must cling to. We've talked about a couple of weeks ago what it looks like for us to, to gather together as disciples of Christ for the purpose of worshiping Christ. That we were created as worshiping beings, that we were meant uh, to be worshipers, and we will worship there's no question whether or not uh, any man, woman, boy, or girl on this planet will worship. The question is, what will you worship with your life? Will you worship that which is eternal and will last forever? Or will you worship that which is temporal and will not outlive your days on this planet? 
We, we talked about the biblical priority of growing in the word of Christ and how and that so much happens so much better in the context of small groups than it does in a gathering like this. There's some uh, growth in the word that can happen in, in the worship gathering on Sunday morning, but uh, a greater place for us to grow in the word of Christ is to gather in a small group which is centered around the word of God where we can develop relationships with one another and be challenged not just to hear the word but to become doers of the word as the book of James encourages. Us. And this week we're going to talk about a third priority of disciples, which is that we go as witnesses for Christ. Simple statement, the key idea for the day is this, that we glorify God when we go as witnesses for Christ. We, we talked about in week one, that we were created as men and women to glorify God. Genesis 1.27, the biblical definition of humanity says that we were created male and female in his, in his image. We were created to reflect the glory of God in all of creation. And one of the primary ways that we do that is through our witness. Now, if you're like me, you grew up in church hearing about the Great Commission, go ye therefore into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And there were a lot of guilt-driven messages related to the Great Commission. I have prayed this week that I will not be another one in the long series of guilt-driven messages that tell you that you ought to be out there witnessing for Jesus. If you've been around the church very long, hopefully you know you ought to be out there witnessing for Jesus. But there needs to be something deeper in us that drives us in gospel witness than just the ought to's. It ought to be birthed out of a heart that's in love with Christ. So much so that you worship him, not just on Sunday morning, but with all that you are. It ought to be birthed out of a life that's growing in Christ. Not just opening your Bible here on Sunday mornings or, or on Wednesday nights, but all throughout the week, growing in Christ and gathering with other believers to be spurred on, to have that iron sharpening iron type of experience, to, to spur one another on to love and, and good works in the name of Christ. This produces in us a natural outgrowth which is called witnessing. So we come here to the Great Commission, and I want to ask three questions this morning as we dive in uh, to this part of God's Word. First of all, we're going to ask, where is the power for the Great Commission? We've been given an impossible task, if you understand this rightly. Only possible if we understand the power source. Secondly, what are the priorities of the Great Commission? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think in many avenues we have gotten this wrong. We've misunderstood the Great Commission and what it's encouraging us toward. And finally, who is present with us in the Great Commission and why is that essential? Let's jump right in. Verses 16 through 18. Where is the power for the Great Commission? So we see in the book of Matthew, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, born into the world through uh, the Virgin Mary. He comes and dwells among us, as John chapter 1 says, full of grace and truth. He lives the perfect life that none of us could have lived. And he dies a sacrificial, substitutionary death in our place on the cross. What was Jesus doing at the cross? It was so much more than just sitting before us, a good example. Jesus was there in our place. When we say he died for our sins, the for our sins part is essential. 
He didn't die just to set it before us a good example of self-sacrifice. He didn't die just to show us a good way uh, to give our lives in service to God and others. No, he died as our substitute. He took our place. He paid our sin debt so that we could be set free from sin and death. He dies on the cross three days later. He rises from the grave to affirm two things. First of all, that he is the Son of God and has, has power over life and death, but also to affirm the gospel that says there is eternal life for us found in him alone. His resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Everything we believe is based upon his resurrection. If the body of Jesus Christ is still in the grave today somewhere in Jerusalem, then we are wasting our time here this morning. The Apostle Paul even says, if, the, if Christ has not been raised, we are of all people on the planet the most pitiful. Because we're wasting our lives on a lie. Christianity is more than just moral teachings that will help us to live a better life. Christianity is more than just a good way to live out your days. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, if Christ has not been raised, then we are the most wretched, pitiful people on the planet because we're wasting our lives on a lie. Everything we believe is based in His resurrection. So he rises from the dead for 40 days. He prepares his disciples to go out on this world-changing mission known as, we know it here as the Great Commission. He has been with them 40 days post-resurrection, preparing them to do this huge work of reaching the world with his gospel. And now he's getting ready to go back to the Father, and he wants to leave them with one last good reminder. But lest we think... That he has now gathered together his dream team, the ultimate dynamic disciples who are going to just radically change the world because they're so awesome. Look at what he says here. Look with me at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee. or The 11 disciples reminds us there used to be 12, right? The 11 disciples went to Galilee as Jesus had instructed that was back in verse 10, by the way, if you want to see where he instructed them to do that. They went to Galilee as they were instructed, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Right move. Amen. Good job, disciples. You got it. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Disciples worship Jesus Christ because he is worthy of it. They got that right, but then look at the next phrase. But some what? But some doubted. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, how in the world does doubt remain after all they've seen? They were with him the three years of his earthly ministry as he was teaching, as he was healing, as he was casting out demons, as he was walking on water, as he was raising the dead. And now they are witnesses of the fact that he himself rose from the dead. He who laid his own life down on the cross, as he said, would take it up again. And he did three days later. They've seen all these things. They've been with him being prepared for 40 days to go out on this world changing mission and yet when it all comes down some of them doubted so lest we think that it was just this dynamic 
group of disciples, this dream team that God put together to change the world, understand very quickly that these disciples were simply this. They were down a man and they had doubts of many. They were continuing to wrestle with doubt even as they were being propelled on mission. I love what J.D. Greer said, faith is by no means the absence of doubt. Rather, faith is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. This is the difference between doubt and unbelief. It's not saying here that these disciples didn't believe him in that moment, but it's saying really the best uh, version of doubt here is one of deep hesitation. They were still hesitant. They were still fearful in spite of all that they had seen. They were still uncertain that the mission he was about to give them could be accomplished. In church, that same kind of hesitation still exists in us today. If we pridefully approach the Great Commission thinking that we can accomplish it in our own power, we are fooling ourselves. Because the basis of the Great Commission is this fact that Jesus has been given all authority. So let's not start the Great Commission at verse 19. Let's begin it rightly at verse 18 when he makes the statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a divine passive, which means that, okay, who's given it? God the Father has given all authority to God the Son for the accomplishing of this Great Commission. And apart from that, we have been given an impossible task. I don't know about you, but when I begin to start to think about the 4 billion in the world that have limited access to the gospel and the 2 billion in the world that have absolutely no access to the gospel, meaning there is no church within their sphere of life, there is no, they don't have a Bible, they don't even know a Christian, they've never even heard of Jesus. When I think about 2 billion people on the planet that are in that category, I can become immensely overwhelmed. Where do we even begin to reach two billion people. And I begin to think about the people groups in the world that he's going to refer to here in just a moment. 11,000 distinct groups of people in the world, distinct in their culture, distinct in their language, distinct in their customs. 11,000 different ethnic, different people groups in the world today that he is calling us to reach. And of those, about half of the people groups in the world today still have little or no access to the gospel that saves. They don't have a Bible in their own language. They don't have a church within walking distance. They don't don't even know a Christian. There's no influence of the gospel in the sphere of their lives and their culture. It's easy to get overwhelmed. And to think how in the world could we possibly, especially as a church in the middle of a cornfield here in McQuaidy, Kentucky, have anything to do with that kind of seemingly insurmountable lostness. And yet the Great Commission has not just been given to big churches in urban areas. The Great Commission has been given to us. So what are the priorities of the Great Commission? What are the priorities of the Great Commission? What is it all about? Hudson Taylor, famous missionary. By the way, if you ever get a chance to read Hudson Taylor's biography, I encourage you to read it. It will spur you on to the heart of God for the nations. He said this, 
The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Get that this morning. And that's not a guilt statement to say you ought to be a part of this. It is saying if you belong to Jesus Christ, your heartbeat will become, as you grow in Him, His heartbeat for the nations. But the Great Commission, as we see it here in verses 19 and 20, is not what it's so often been made to be. When I grew up, I grew up in a Baptist church, not unlike this one. I heard the Great Commission and preached regularly throughout the year. And once a year, we would have a missions day. Some of you may remember these days when we would have flags from all the different nations, and they would hang from the balcony, and we would, they would march those flags in, and we would be reminded on that day that God has a heart for all the peoples of the world, and we would have missionary speakers that would come, and, and we would have missions conferences, and, and all kinds of different things to remind us of the Great Commission. But, but the way the Great Commission was voiced in my growing up was in the go ye therefore to all the nations. That's the way it was voiced. Go ye therefore and proclaim the gospel to all the nations. But they, they left out something that is so crucial. In fact, it's the most crucial piece of the Great Commission. It's interesting how in generations oftentimes we find ourselves overlooking the key components and focusing on the peripherals. And that's what we've so often done with the Great Commission over the last 50 years. It's been voiced in the go ye therefore. And the emphasis of the, great, emphasis of the great Commission, the main emphasis, is not the go ye therefore. The main command of the Great Commission is this. Make disciples. If you want to know what the Great Commission is about, it's not just the going, it's not just the baptizing, it's not just the teaching. It is the making of disciples. This is the primary mission and goal of the church. It's not just gathering together on Sunday morning for a worship gathering. It's not just having Sunday schools and small groups where we teach and, and learn the Word of God. It is that we would be about the biblical God-given command of making disciples. The main command of the Great Commission, study it for yourself, is to make disciples. And he hangs that command. He hangs on that command three other phrases. Going. How are you going to make disciples? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. These are all what in the English language are called participles. Going, baptizing, and teaching. But the command, the imperative, the thing we've got to get right is making disciples. So how do we do that? So we make disciples, first of all, by reaching all the people groups. Go and make disciples. What does he say next? Baptizing them. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we begin making disciples by reaching people with the gospel and the outward sign of the faith that's produced when people are reached with the gospel is this thing called baptism. But here's the problem. In Baptist churches like what I grew up in and, and so many of our Baptist churches, what we find is we stopped with the baptizing. We didn't read the rest of the Great Commission. We thought it was enough to share the gospel with somebody, for them to make a profession of faith, for them to get dunked in the baptistry, and then they find their place to sit and stew in the pew until Jesus comes back. And that is not biblical Christianity. 
because there's another component. Look at verse 20. We make disciples not just by reaching them, but also by teaching them. And what are we teaching them? All that I have commanded you. What is that? Genesis 1-1 to the end of the amen at the end of Revelation. That's what that is. We say this is the word of God. Romans 10 says faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. All scripture is God breathed and, and given for our teaching, for our reproof, for our correction, for our training in righteousness that we might be fully equipped. Paul says to the Ephesians elders, Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, his parting comments to them were this, I have not withheld any of the full counsel of God's word from you. I'm absolved of any responsibility for what you do with it, but I have been faithful, he said, to deliver to you the full counsel of the Word of God. He got the Great Commission. It begins with baptizing, but it goes on to teaching. You see, church, please get this. Baptism is just the starting point. It was never meant to be the finish line. That's discipleship. In my own testimony, you've heard me share before, I was a, as a seven-year-old boy, the grace of God rescued me from, from sin and death, and I came to know Christ as my Savior. But it wasn't until eight years later that a youth leader came alongside me and showed me how to walk with Jesus, how to grow in my faith, taught me how to pray and read and study and memorize the Word of God. No one ever came to me, and I'm a kid who grew up in church. No one came to me as a seven-year-old and said, hey, now it's time for you to start growing in your faith. You say, well, you turned out all right. I mean, it seems like everything worked out okay. Yes, but I look back on that and I recognize that there were eight years in my life that were lost in terms of any significant growth because somebody missed the rest of the Great Commission. I'm not saying that in any accusatory way. I love the church in which I grew up, and I'm thankful for God and godly men and women who invested in my life. But folks, let's not forget, it's not just about reaching people with the gospel. It's also about teaching them all that He has commanded us, which is a lifelong process of knowing and growing in the Word of God. And as I said last week, there is no retirement in the Christian life. There will never be a place where you can say, well, I've arrived. I've learned all I need to know. I've done all I need to do. I can hang it up and just wait till Jesus comes to take me home. Glory be to God. When you get in that place, I want to urge you toward a biblical word. It's called repentance. Because you have allowed pride to creep in and you have bought into a false version of the Christian faith. Amen. David Platt said, we have taken the command of Christ to go, to baptize and to teach all nations. And we have mutated it into a comfortable call to come to be baptized and to sit in one location. Another pastor that I love said... Church attendance is a poor substitute for service in God's kingdom. He wants so much more for you. 
He wants more for you than just to be a, a church-going, Bible-toting, show up every time the doors are open, Christian. He wants you to see that you are meant to live a life on mission with Him every day of your life. Last week, I invited Andy to come and share about his transformation going from being your typical Sunday morning only not really in the Word of God, not really growing in his faith in any significant way. How do you go from that to now, over the last four or five years, just a man of dynamic faith who I see setting an example for others in regard to his pursuit of Christ? And today I want to invite uh, another man that I've just seen in a similar kind of transformation over, over the last five years in this particular area, a man who five years ago I wouldn't have said that it really had any kind of a heart for missions. Never talked about the nations. Probably knew the Great Commission, but never didn't see that being really lived out in him in any meaningful way. Just, it just wasn't there. But I've watched over the last few years how God has formed his own heart in this brother. How God has, has taken a young man who grew up right here in this community, has been in this church as long as he's been alive for a few years living in the foreign land of Atlanta, and, and has crafted him into a man who loves God and loves the God who loves all the peoples of the earth. And so I wanted to invite Matt to come this morning. And to share with you guys just a little bit of his own story, a little bit of his testimony. Because I believe that there are more people in, in the seats here that, that God is calling out of a comfortable cultural Christianity into the version of Christianity that we see in the New Testament where we have a real true heart that beats for the peoples that God loves. And it's not just talk, it's demonstrated. So Matt, would you talk a little bit about your transformation and just share with us some of the things that God used to spur you on in having a missional heart? Uh, yeah. Uh, so yesterday, Andrew and I were talking. He, he asked me this question, and, and I gave him an answer, and, and it, it, was, it, was as, it was what I was thinking at the time. But the more I, I got to think on that last night and, and this morning, um, so yeah, about four, five years, um, God really just opened my eyes to missions. But I really started thinking about what he had been doing my entire life. And so, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up in a home where the, the gospel was taught. I seen mom and dad live that out in their marriage and teaching us. They were faithful in bringing us to church. You know, we had a fat, faithful uh, pastor who had preached the gospel. And so... You know, I got to hear it my, my whole life, and then, um, you know, when Jamie and I started dating 16 years ago, got to meet Bob and Pat, and, and they had a lot of exchange students in their home, and so I got to meet internationals, people I'd, I'd never met before, and got to develop a love for them, got to, uh, a lot of them I would consider very, very close friends, and got to see how they interacted with my wife and me, and even our, now our kids. And uh, we still have a couple from Taiwan who come to, to every major holiday that we have. And so I've seen how God was using those times, even though I didn't, I didn't know he was using them at the time. But um, 
about four years ago when we went to Belize, um, Jamie and I both, we didn't know why we, we needed to go, but we just kind of felt that we needed to go to Belize. We didn't want to go. Um, matter of fact, we dropped off the kids at Bomb Pad and we were driving. It's about a 15-minute drive to church to meet the church bus. And, and we just, the whole way, I said, you know what? We just, we just can't do it. Not this time. Maybe, maybe next time. We'll just tell them they can keep the money and the tickets and, and we just won't go. Uh, the kids, they can't, you remember this conversation? The kids, they can't be by themselves. Uh, they need us. You know, my work, it can't survive without me. It needs me. Uh, there's other people in our lives, they, they, they need us. The church, you know, I mean, it, it probably couldn't survive a week without us. So we, we need to stay here for the church, you know. No, he didn't say that one, but probably thought it in some way. But we got to the parking lot, and they're loading up the bus, and we are literally sitting there praying, going, I'm just going to walk out and tell them we're not going. And uh, I'll take the one, I'll take this one, Jamie, don't worry about it. And I said, she said, no, let, let's just pray about it one more time. So we prayed, and, and both of us, again, we got to get on that bus. We got to get on that plane. We don't know why. And for us, it's probably different than most people. What God did in that trip was not so much with the Belizeans. It was not so much even with the brothers that we went with. It was, I finally got away from all the things that I have been idling my entire life. Cell phones, kids, even my wife. I was in a different room. And so I got separated from everything that I held idle and got just in the Word of God, and He started to use that time in His Word to show me what a great blessing my wife was, what a great gifts my kids were, but they were not worthy of the worship that I was giving them. Only God is worthy of that worship. And so through the next, the past four years, uh, God has used different people in my life. He's... Uh, I think Andrew said this earlier, if you want to get on fire about missions, get around someone who's on fire about missions. But, you know, the, the grow corner, I know there can be intimidating reading a book. To be honest, I never read a book in my entire life, even through high school. I was a horrible student. You know, 10 years after high school, I have never read a book in my life. You can ask my wife. It's at least one a week, and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying God's given me a passion. But using other people's testimonies and biographies, and, and what I started to learn is they were normal people. There was nothing special about them. There was no, no super call. There was just people living, trying to glorify God biblically. And if you don't know what that is, I beg you, go read your Bible until you do. Because he will reveal it to you. And there is so much more than what we call, uh, or I'll call, cultural Christianity of America. There's so much more. And um, so anyway, I probably went a little long. but, but. Hey, how would you, uh, Matt, just as... Someone who's kind of walked this path, how would you encourage somebody? Perhaps today, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to 
unveil a little bit of that missionary heart of God and his heart for the nations and his, his passion. It's God's passion for missions that propels us on, ultimately. So how would, how would you encourage somebody, if they kind of begin to get that today, where to begin? Because it can, be, it can be kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So where would you encourage them to kind of take some next steps if the Lord begins to open that veil for them a little bit this morning? Right. I, I would just, for one, I would begin in prayer and in the Word and just, just reading it, trying to get on a daily routine of reading it and praying through it. God, reveal to me what you're trying to show me and your missionary heart. But just real practically, next Friday and Saturday is a great opportunity. Uh, you're going to come and be around Randy. Come and be around people who, who love mission, and you, you'll kind of catch on. Uh, the fire there, again, reading... Um, just reading an autobiography of someone who's lived faithfully. Hudson Taylor's a good one. I don't think you have that one over there right now. But David Brainerd. You got David Brainerd and George Mueller's autobiography. Oh, yeah. He's he's about orphan care, which is what Micah mm. Peterson's going to be t- telling us uh, about next week. Um, but yeah, I, I would start with with prayer. Um, I would be glad to talk with you um, if you just want to talk to someone. Say, hey, I can't do this. I can tell you I was the king of I can't do this, mm. and I would be glad to walk with you. You can ask um, several people. There, there are actually several people in here with a, a heart for missions, and it's been great getting to know you. And, you know, my door's open. Uh, you can come over. We'll have dinner. I'm going to you know, put Jamie on the spot. She'll cook. <laughs> She's a good cook. You know, she'll cook and come over. We'll open the Word together. And we'll just kind of point through what God's doing in the Scripture and then kind of help define that for yourselves. Maybe we're not all, we're all called to make disciples, but we're not all called to make them the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So you might have a completely different calling than me, and that's fine. I would love to help develop, though, your own call, what God's doing in your life. I know with some in here, we've been working with refugees, and so we've been kind of going... Uh, that way, and we've been meeting with some people in Louisville about that. Some of you might have just a, a just a very strong call to meet and meet with people within ten minutes of here. That's great. Let's develop that. Um, you're not going to develop that by saying that other people should go do it, though. You're going to develop that by going and doing it. And I will gladly help you in that. Um, learn your testimony. Mm. Learn what it means to be a Christian. Test yourself in that. You know, did I, am I believing in some prayer from a pastor or am I believing in what the Holy Spirit actually did in me? Mm-hmm. And then if what he did in you, he's going to use that and propel in Acts 1 8, it says, You will be his wit- my witness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, testing yourself in that. Uh, again, um, getting with people who are faithfully in the Word and who will pray with you on that. That's good. Thank you, brother. Let's give Matt a hand today. I love one of the things that he said there. I just want to emphasize it again in case you didn't catch it. We're all called to be a part of making disciples. That will 
display itself in different ways in different lives according to our giftedness. As we talked about last week, some have that, that gift of evangelism to where uh, you're gifted by God for the proclaiming of the gospel in such a way that people are going to come to faith in Christ, not because you're so great, but because God's going to use the gifts that he's given you to kind of be that, that obstetrician, so to speak, in terms of faith, of bringing new life. And he's going to use you in that way because that's the way he's geared you. Others are going to be geared more toward uh, the pastor teacher gifting where God's going to use you to come alongside those who've already come to faith and need someone to come along and say, hey, let me help you grow in your newfound relationship. So you may end up being a small group leader or a, or a Sunday school teacher, but, but you see how God uses those gifts together. That we all have different gifts, but we all have gifts, and the gifts are meant to be put in to practice so that the body of Christ might be built up. That's what we talked about last Sunday. I want to make this last statement before we wrap up this morning. We need to understand that ultimately discipleship is not complete until the one being discipled becomes a disciple maker. We need to praise God for that because if that were not the case, Christianity would have ended in the first century. Jesus made 11 disciples, right? What happens if those dudes never become disciple makers? They never take hold of the Great Commission for themselves. Christianity dies with them in the first century. But because they understood what we should rightfully understand, that every disciple is called to be a disciple maker. Some will maybe be more gifted in the area of evangelism. Some will be more gifted in the area of helping others to grow. Some will be more gifted in the area of going to the nations on mission. There will be various gifts, but we will all have a part in this. Discipleship is not the pastor's job. Discipleship is not the Sunday school teacher's job. Discipleship is given to all believers. We all have a part to play in this. But it's not a completed work until the disciple becomes the disciple maker, until it's replicated in others' lives. It's a ministry of multiplication. I love what Robbie Gallaty said. He says discipleship is not a class. By the way, this is a pastor who's getting discipleship right, in my estimation, in his church outside Nashville. It's not a seminar. It's not a degree you earn. It's, a, it's not a program. It's not a 12-week Bible study or a 40-week home group. It's not a quick process. It's not a quick fix. It is not reserved for super-Christians. It is not hard. By that he means it's not complicated. It's also not an option. Here's how he defines discipleship. Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships that are empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. I know that's wordy. But what he's saying to you is what I just said to you. Disciples are disciple makers. I am so thankful that Curtis Griffiths took seriously the role of being a disciple maker when I was seven years old in the midst of a vacation Bible school when he presented the gospel to us and asked who, asked who would like to respond to Christ in repentance and faith. I am thankful that his discipleship didn't end with him. I'm thankful for Tony Cecil, my high school youth pastor, who faithfully taught us the Word of God and did not see it enough to be a Christian who knew the Word himself, but sought to instill the Word of God into young men and women like myself. 
I'm thankful for Leonard Hornsby who came alongside me and helped me to learn how to pray and to read and to witness and how to walk with Jesus, not just uh, to know him. I'm thankful for those who have taken seriously the call of not just being disciples, but of making disciples. And we all have a part in this. Let's end here with this question. Who is the presence with in the Great Commission? And if we miss this, if we miss this part, I think we really don't get it. The the Great Commission begins in verse 18 and ends in verse 20. All of this is the commission. It begins with the power of God and it ends with his presence. Jesus has promised to be with us. Literally, the Greek says, all the days. I'll be with you always to the end of the, of, of the age. Literally, he's saying, I'll be with you all the days. In the days when your sharing of the gospel is effective and people are coming to Christ, and in the days when it seems like no one's listening. In the days when your raising of your children to love Christ and to honor Him with their lives is, is, is going well and, and they seem to be flourishing in their faith and in the days when it seems like they're not getting anything you ever taught them. I'll be with you all of your days. It's not results oriented. It's not I'll be with you if you baptize 12 in your church this year. No, it's all the days. I will be with you. He's promised us that. In fact, the book of Matthew is a constant reminder of the promise of the presence of Christ in the midst of our mission. Matthew chapter 1, from the very beginning, it was said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. This is not just a Christmas text, by the way. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This is the God who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And when you live on mission with him, you have the privilege of experiencing his manifest presence in a way that you don't when you just dwell, sit back in comfortable Christianity. When you're kicked back in the spiritual lazy boy, when you come on mission with him, you experience Emmanuel. But also be reminded of this. Church, the day is coming when the Great Commission will expire. We need this reminder, he says, to the end of this age. What he's saying is there will come a day when we will no longer have the opportunity to share the saving message of the gospel with those who are lost in their sin and destined for hell apart from the Holy Spirit coming in and regenerating them, redeeming them, and restoring them to a right relationship with God. There is coming a day when that will expire. There is coming a day when we will no longer have opportunity to come alongside brothers or sisters who have come to a newfound faith and to help them grow in their relationship with Christ and see that faith flourish in such a way that they become not just disciples, but disciple makers. There is coming a day when the Great Commission will expire. Until that day, may His church be found faithful in the mission. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. It will be, not might be. Could be, it might happen, good prediction. No, it will be as a testimony to all the ethnos, all the people groups, all the nations, and then the end will come. Then it will expire. We look forward to that day. We pray, come Lord Jesus. 
We long for his return and all the more as we see the increasing trouble in our world, as we see days of increased suffering for the people of God. We don't shrink back from that and go hide out in our holy huddles. Instead, we take the Great Commission all the more seriously and desire to be a part of His work in the world. And so I'll leave you with our mission statement, which is also a measuring stick for our effectiveness. How do we know if the church is doing what the church ought to be doing? I pray there will come a day when we will no longer measure the effectiveness of the church by the number of butts in the pew or bucks in the plate. But that we will measure our effectiveness based upon this. Are we a people who are about the business of making disciples? Who glorify God as they gather for worship, as they grow together in the word of Christ, and as they go out as witnesses who are all about making disciples? disciples so my question for you this day would be this where do you find yourself in this mission take the measuring stick and lay it alongside your life again I have no desire to guilt you into anything this morning but the spirit of God would speak to you and begin to impress upon you some next steps May we be obedient to that of love for our Savior.